are in the book of Acts chapter 9 today. It starts to get some of the familiar stories relating to Saul, who later on becomes Paul. So that's where we're going to be at. Uh, but let me ask you, uh, let, me, let me bring up these ideas. Black and white, right? We got black, uh, we got white. We have up, we have down, we have east, we have west, we have night, we have day, we have right, we have wrong. How many different ways can you come up with to say 180 degree difference? Now, I almost sent that out as a question, to, to like the question of the week. What, what can you give me that shows polar opposites to, to help get this, this point across? You know, drastic de decisions, changes in life usually come from drastic de uh, situations in life. You know, you think about the guy who's dealing with drugs his whole life. He's always in and out of rehab. It might hit the drastic moment in his life that might cause him to go 180. He might be sitting there at a church. There's a casket up here, and he's mourning the death of a friend from a drug overdose. And he might say, you know what, I'm done. And I, I can go cold turkey from this from now on because I see where that leads. The guy sitting in the hospital room who just has barely survived a, heart, a massive heart attack and has every stint and every possible thing done. And the doctor says you were this close because of that hoagie that you keep eating and that soda that you keep drinking might be that moment in life where he says, OK, I'm only going to eat healthy stuff from now on. Or you find yourself driving down the road. You got the radio on, you're one of those textures while you drive, and you're drinking pop at the same time, and the kids are in the back, and all these sort of things are all going on at one time. And then you see the accident on the road. And all of a sudden, you're determined that's not going to be you, and you, you put the phone down, you turn off the radio, you tell everybody, shh, and you put both hands on the steering wheel at 10 and 2, and you start just paying attention to the road. 180 degree difference in life because of some kind of drastic situation. I'm just kind of curious just for you to think about it in your own mind. Have you ever made 180 degree change in your life? You are going clearly down the wrong road and something happened in your life that made you change the direction to go the right road. Uh, and maybe, maybe something will come to mind as you go through this, this message. Uh, we're going to talk today about a guy named Saul who made that 180 degree turn. He was clearly going down the wrong road and he decided to go down the right road. It wasn't based off the, the, the death of a friend who died of an overdose. It wasn't because he was sitting in a hospital room and the doctor said, Saul, you better stop eating those foods or you're gonna end up like that guy. And it wasn't because he was driving down the road in a, on a mule or a donkey and he sees an accident and says, I don't wanna be a part of that. His 180-degree turnaround was due to a connection or an interaction with Jesus Christ himself on the road to, Damas road to Damascus. We see that he goes from the complete opposite direction to the complete right direction. <clears throat> okay, so let me well, let's start out with, first of all, what was Paul or Saul doing wrong? What, he was going the wrong direction. Let's start with there, uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. That is not right, because that's the wrong book of the Bible. That was John, by the way. It just Acts chapter 9. 
1 and 2 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them and put them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So the last couple of weeks, what did we talk about? We talked about a guy named Philip. He's in Samaria, and he's, he's doing miracles, and he's leading people to the Lord. One of those guys who was a counterfeit Christian was a guy by the name of Simon. He was a, a guy who attracted attention to himself to start with. He did magic. He did sorcery. Well, he went through the motions of what all the other people did. He made a profession of faith, just like everybody else. And then he got baptized, and then he started following Philip and what he was teaching and watching the miracles that he did. But through that message, we found out that guy truly wasn't a believer. He just went through the, the steps. Well, the following week, which was last week, we find that Philip followed the Holy Spirit's leading one step at a time. Hey, Philip, you go stand over, you go down that road. Hey, Philip, while you're on that road, go stand by that chariot. And then he, he has the opportunity to share his faith with the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? That's ringing a bell to somebody, right? One step at a time, and this is what he's doing. Well, while all this is taking place, while Philip's out there trying to get the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth, Saul's trying to stop it. Just as fast as Philip is going, as fast as the other believers are trying to push this faith, Saul is trying to stop this. He's trying to keep this from happening. And it says that uh, he was on his way to Damascus, and as he's on his way there, you know, as he's talking to people, as he's trying to eliminate this Christian faith, it says that Saul is breathing out murderous threats against Christians. All the way along the way, he's trying to stop this. Now, this is a little bit more than just me talking. And every time I, I talk, words come out of my mouth as if I'm, I'm saying something. There's a little different picture here. This is a picture of a war horse who is, who smell, he takes in the smell of battle. And he's like, he's like, let's go. I mean, let's hop on my back. Let's go to that battle. I want to go fight. I want to run people over. I want to smell the death. I want to taste a victory. And that's what Saul is doing. He's breathing out what he's breathing in. He's breathing in death from persecuting the Christians. And now he wants to take that and he wants to go succeed even more and, and destroy the life of more people. So he's breathing out this murderous, these threats that he's breathing in and he's tracking down Christians. Saul has an obsession. This is kind of like his life's goal is to go and put his put these Christians to death. The more success he has, the more he's determined to win. And now he's, he's been to Jerusalem, and I can only assume that he started where he was at. The, the gospel started in Jerusalem and started spreading. The persecution started in Jerusalem and started spreading. And now Saul is between 140 and 150 miles away from Jerusalem, trying to stop this Christian faith. This guy is determined to do what he thinks is the right thing to end this Christian faith. We find in Acts 22 and Acts 26, you get a little bit more detail to the story where Paul is willing to admit, hey, this is what I was like. This is what God did through me. And he's telling the story to a lot of different people. So we can take a little bit, some parts from those and add it all together to get a clear picture. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, 
Paul's he's now called Paul, but he's talking about a situation on the road to Damascus. And he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous as God was as any of you are today. He was zealous for God. What was he trying to do because he was so zealous for God? He was trying to wipe out the Christians. He had the right, in his eyes, it was the right motive. He's trying to please God. And if I got to wipe out all those people, that's what I'm going to do. So he's, he feels like he's, he's got the right motives. He's got the right reasons. And he was just as determined as they were to wipe out the Christian faith. It says in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 to 11, I too was convinced that I ought to do everything that was possible to, do, to oppose the name of Jesus. That was his goal. He thought that's what he was supposed to do. On authority of the chief priest, he put many of the saints in prison. When it came down to whether they should live or die, he cast his vote and said, hey, these people should die. He went from town to town to have them punished to try to get them to blasphemy. He went to foreign cities such as Damascus to take these people and haul them back to Jerusalem. That's what Paul or Saul at that time was wanting to do. The best of intentions. He tried harder to please God than any 10 of us in here could combine could do. He was that determined. He was that motivated to try to please his God. But he was not going in the right direction. Sincerity doesn't help make you right with God. Just because you have good motives or intentions, if it's the wrong direction that God wants you to go, it's the wrong direction to go, period. There are people today who are going the wrong way. They are heading in the wrong direction. And it can be as drastic as people of other countries, of other faiths, persecuting Christians or persecuting people who have no faith because they think that's what they're supposed to do. In the Quran, it talks about how there's going to be enmity and hate and reign between people till you believe in Allah. Until you believe in Allah, we're going to be putting you to death. And why are they doing that? Because they're trying to make their God happy. They have the best of intentions. They are honest. They are sincere. But what are they doing? They're going the wrong way. That's pretty drastic. It could be a little bit less drastic, but there are people today who are immoral in every sense of the word, and they don't think anything of it. They're slack at work. They cheat on their taxes. They cheat on their spouses. They're foul in every sense of the word, and they're heading the wrong direction. Now you might say, duh, Josh, that's pretty obvious. They, they're living like the world. They're going the wrong direction. But there's somebody else who's heading the wrong direction. People who are as nice and as sweet as they come. The person who you say, you know what, if, if they would give you their last buck, they would, they would give you their, their shirt off their shoulders in a snowstorm in order to, to bless you. They're as sweet and as nice as you come. At their funeral, people would stand up for hours and hours and talk about how nice that person was, but they are headed in the same wrong direction. Because all those good things that you do don't make you right with God. They're sort of sweet. They're really a, a swell person, but that doesn't make them right with God. They're heading the wrong direction. Every one of those people, the person who's trying to kill because of faith, the person who says, I don't care what anybody thinks, or the sweetest person you've ever met in your life, are just like that, that druggie who needs a, a 180 degree turn. 
like the guy at the hospital, like the guy driving down the road. He needs something in his life to cause him to go from left to right. Left to right, right? This is your left. To go from left to right, he, he needs something in his life. He needs a turning point. He needs a wake-up call. And God is in the business of giving people a wake-up call. It's just kind of curious is how big a wake-up call do people need? You can take something small and say, okay, I'm willing to just hear that I'm a sinner. Or you might find yourself on the brink of death before you're willing to change your life. But God is in the business of giving a wake-up call. That's what God did to Saul. He gave him a wake-up call. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and get going on the road to Damascus. And when you get there, you're going to find out what you need to do. Okay, so Saul, he's getting his wake-up call. And that, first of, all, first of all, involved a great bright light. In Acts chapter 26, verse 13, it was said it was brighter than the sun. It was so bright that everybody fell off their, fell down, they fell off their mules, whatever they were riding, because it was so bright. The second part of it was the voice of Jesus himself. That was his wake-up call. In Acts chapter 26, verse 14, gives you more details. It says, Saul, um, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, kind of like, if you don't know what a goad is, it's like a stick with a point on it. You know, it's where they would prod their animals and say, hey, this is sharp, this is pointy, quit pushing against this. It's only going to hurt. The only modern-day thing I can think of is, uh, I've helped on ranches a few times, and you have the cow shoots. Right? You guys all picture this, a cow shoot, and some cow does not want to move. What do you do? You get like a zapper, right? You give them something, and you're like, hey, let's, let's have some fun with this. You, there's no point to fighting against this. You are not going to win. Get your pocket knife out. Whatever it is, it's going to move that cow. And that's what Jesus is telling Paul. There's no point to fight against this. You are going to lose. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you causing suffering, pain, whether it's physical or emotional? Now, obviously, Saul right now is not persecuting Jesus. Jesus has already been on the earth. He's already been persecuted. He's been put to death on the cross. He rose again. He was on the earth for 40 days. And now he's up in heaven at God's right hand, uh, waiting to, for the end to kind of take place. But he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, here's a huge wake-up call to Saul. Because not in this, in this uh, conversation with Jesus, Saul finds out two really important things. He first of all finds out that Jesus is real. This Jesus that he's trying to destroy, that he's running around very determined to wipe out all these believers everywhere. First of all, this guy's actually real. That's a huge oops and, and for Saul. And the second thing is that God or that Jesus takes persecuting his people very personally. He says, when you're persecuting those guys, you're persecuting that church, you're persecuting me. So not only is Jesus real, but Jesus is not happy with the fact that he is persecuting everybody. A huge wake-up call. This is the huge turning point in his life. First of all, it involved a connection with Jesus on the road to Damascus, but it also involved a connection with a guy by the name of Ananias. <clears throat> it says... In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. 
Ananias. Yes, Lord? He answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So here we get like we get the start of a little recap of last week. You guys remember one step at a time? I kind of drilled it into your head. Can anybody tell me what the first step is? I wish I had candy and throw it at you. What's the first step in being obedient to God? Yes, thank you. The first thing was you have to hear the voice of God. You have to listen. That's exactly what Ananias did. And that's the easy part. I'm just hearing what am I supposed to do? What's the second one? What's the second part of that? Obey, right? And we're going to find out that that's a little bit tougher for Ananias than just hearing from God. Lord, said Ananias, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Are you sure this is a good idea? But the Lord said to him, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry out my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Huge wake-up call. And, and I just want to touch base here on how much he must suffer for my name. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you find out how much he must suffer for his name. We have key words throughout this passage that, of what Paul had to go through. He had to work hard for Jesus. He was put in prison often. I mean, just look at this list. What do you look up here and say, I'd like to go through that? I don't see anything on here that I would like to go through. He was flogged severely. Five times he was whipped 39 times. You know, the first time is the tough is the easiest. I mean, you got the toughest skin. After that, you're, you're, you, you got the scars that break through so much easier. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He, he faced constant danger from everywhere. He had many sleepless nights. He gone. He had gone without food and without water. And there's just numerous things, probably more than this list of what Paul had to go through because he went from that direction to this direction. He said, yes, eventually I'll go that direction without knowing what it was going to cost him. We can look and see it cost Saul quite a bit in order if he was going to follow Jesus. Ananias, he obeyed God. He was willing to go. It says Ananias, verse 17 and 18. It says that Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, he sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And then he took some food and he regained his strength. Ananias, he, he heard the voice of God. He did step one and he carried it through. He did step two, which was to obey God. And, and through that process, Saul was able to see again. Saul had his turning point. People today, guess what they need? They need some kind of turning point. 
The guy, the druggie, it took that. He probably had friends overdosed on the couch and they came through and said, hey, that was funny, let's keep doing it. You know, the guy at the hospital, he survived something minor and said, it's not enough to stop me, right? The, the car accident, yeah, my friend just got a $100 speeding ticket, that's not enough to stop me until you see something that finally convinces you that you've got to change direction. People today need a turning point. You know, there's a lot of different ways this can happen. Uh, that Jesus does this uh, through a vision. You know, there's there's uh, books that are written that about people who came to know Jesus, who are in other countries, who are persecuted for their faith, who know nothing about God himself. And they have visions where Jesus appears to them and ex- lets them know somehow who he is. And they, those people don't just say, wow, I had a vision. What they do is they, they pursue that. They say, okay, there's this Jesus. Where do I find more about this guy? How do I live my life for this guy? And they put their faith in him and they keep going and they become the missionary to their little family, to their area, because people like you and I can't get in there to share Jesus. So sometimes Jesus will use a vision of himself to talk to people. Sometimes a Bible is placed. A Gideon sticks it in a hotel room. And somebody, I've heard stories where people are, they're going to the hotel room. They got their bottle of whiskey. They're about, they're going to end their life that night. They open up the drawer and there's a Gideon Bible. And they just start reading it and they've read it all night long. And by the time it's done, they put their faith in Jesus for salvation. God can use a Gideon Bible to reach people. God can use a track that's left at a restaurant. You know, my dad had this experience the other day. Uh, he gets together with a bunch of preacher friends. He's kind of rubbing it in because I know them all and I'm not there. But he said that uh, they left a track at, with, with some money at, at a table. And he said this guy came up and he, he just took the money and he left a track. Well, he's a Moody student. He said, I, I'm a believer in Jesus too. I appreciate that you're leaving this track, but I'm, I already know Jesus as my Savior. So, But God can use a track in order to help people come to know him. God can use all those things. But you know what? What's the better connection? Right? Saul had a connection with Jesus in order to get the ball rolling. But then he finished it up with a guy by the name of Ananias. God can use a vision to get the ball rolling or a Bible or a track, but what is the better connection to help somebody really have that life-changing experience in their life? Everybody take out your finger and go like this. Okay, I don't see very many fingers out there. Yes, me. God wants to use me in order to connect with these people. He wants me to hear from God, go Say, go do, and then he wants me to go and do it, like we looked at last week. And there's numerous stories of people who have been willing to, thank you, Caleb, he's like, me, me, notice me. There's numerous stories of people who are willing to do this. There are people who have, who have been in, being persecuted for their faith in other countries, and they're, they're, they're dying for this. And it's the same guy keeps putting them to death. And finally, this guy says, I can't take it anymore. Right? What is this that you guys are believing? You guys are all dying for your faith. And it could be that you're witnessing to somebody who's trying to take your life. And this guy in the story, in real life story, got saved, became one of them, and had to go through the same process of dying for his faith. But you might be the person who's connecting with somebody who's trying to take your life. Very difficult. I've never obviously had that experience. It would be very difficult. You might be the one who's talking to the most immoral guy you know. 
I've, I've done that too. The most immoral guy, he didn't get saved, but there I was trying to explain the gospel to this person. You might be the person who's doing that. The toughest kid at school, the guy who at work that you don't want anything to do with, you might find yourself being that witness, connecting with that person to tell them about Jesus. Or it might be the nicest person that you've ever met. The person who you think they could have never sinned once in their whole life. Everybody only says nice things about so-and-so. You might be the person who connects with them. Because all those good deeds that they do, they make us remember that person well, but they do not get, you, get them to heaven. They need some kind of turning point. God might get the ball rolling, but he might say, hey, look, Josh, you've got to finish this. I want you to, to continue to share the, your faith with this person. So Saul, he was going the wrong way. He was going down when he should have been going up. He was going east when he should have been going west. And, and then he had to have a turning point. That turning point involved a connection with Jesus, but then it also involved a connection with some scared little rabbit named Ananias who had to go and finish the job. I want to look at here at some proof that Saul went the right direction. I mean, I know we know the story. We know that he gets saved and he becomes the greatest missionary of the New Testament. But I, I, feel, I find four different proofs that this guy really did turn his life around. Uh, verses 17 through 20. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20 says that once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. The very first one, if you can see, uh, it's highlighted in dark blue, says Brother Saul. Now, in today's world, the word brother is just a casual, friendly greeting. I mean, you might be brothers with a football team. You might be brothers with somebody in the military. Just say, hey, we got this bond together, and so I call you brother. Back then, and the way that's being used in this passage, saying brother, when Ananias is saying brother Saul, is referencing the fact that brother Saul has become a believer in Christ, that they are siblings in the Lord. So this is not just a casual greeting. This is something that's clear and evident to Ananias that Saul has put his faith in Jesus. So he gets to be called brother in the Lord. The second thing you see is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about briefly last week about the first indwelling you get of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside and lives inside of you as a guarantee that you have eternal life. But that's not what's being talked about here. This is something else that another gift of the Holy Spirit giving to Saul, probably to convince everybody that yes, indeed, Saul truly was a believer. Because you find out next week that people have a very hard time believing that this is really real. They're thinking this is just Saul putting on an act, trying to get his way into that inner circle so that he can just arrest everybody. That's kind of their fear of what Saul is doing. But this gift of the Holy Spirit is a, a convincing thing that he, yes, indeed, is a believer in Jesus. The third thing, if you can read that, 
is that he was baptized. He made a public declaration of his faith, got dunked underwater, and came up saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. Our scripture reading, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm going under the water. I've died. I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote those words. He was baptized. That's what his life is demonstrating. He's not making some minor little change in his life. He's making a 180 degree turn from being the persecutor to the exact opposite to the guy who's willing to join the persecuted, to get out there and to, to share his faith, which is the proof number four. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. The exact opposite uh, from trying to persecute to trying to share the faith of Jesus. And that's those are four proofs that should be part of believers today. This gospel, I want to I touch on this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Paul was so convinced of this gospel that when he wrote to the church in Galatia, he says, even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach, let him be eternally condemned. He was so convinced that this was the right gospel to believe that he says, I don't care if an angel from heaven comes and tells you something different, you better not believe it. He even says, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel, even if it's me that's preaching the gospel to you different, you better not swallow it. You better not believe it because it's not true. Let him be eternally condemned. The exact opposite of trying to get eliminate this faith to trying to promote this faith. There was proof in his life that he was the real deal. There should be proof in our lives in this building today if we say we are a follower of Jesus. There should be an obvious difference in my life from when I became a Christian. You know, I, I realize that, you know, I got saved at a young age or some people got saved at a young age. You say, well, there's no real difference in my life. You know, I've always, always went to church. You know, I always read my Bible. I always obeyed my parents. Uh, but there's still a difference that should be seen between a, a eight-year-old at school that knows Jesus and an eight-year-old at school that doesn't know Jesus. There should be something in their life that says, I'm different. And your whole life, every up through the end of time, there should be a difference between an unsaved 80-year-old and a saved 80-year-old. There should be something different that would say, we call you brother. You are my brother or my sister in Christ. So the, does the world look at you and say, Wow, Josh is nice like everybody else. Or Josh really believes this gospel that he's trying to share. Is there, is there any kind of difference that would show anybody that you're heading in the right direction? We should get baptized. If you are here and you say, I'm a believer in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus for salvation. It says, believe and be baptized. You should go through the process. Oh, we got a nice baptistry up here. We can make it hot water. Sorry for Bruce and Kathy. Last time it wasn't. <laughs> we can make it hot, you know. But go through that and say, yes, I put my faith in Jesus. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm going to live for him. It's a step of obedience. You should be willing and able to take that step of faith. And the third thing that we find is that we should share our faith with other people. I didn't get sick. You no, know, Jesus didn't save me just to save me. He has a job for me to do. He wants me to share my faith with my kids. He wants me to share my faith with you. He wants me to share my faith with my neighbors. And all these three things are things that I, for me, but also the same for you. Put your faith in Jesus and let there be a difference in your life. Get baptized, because we're commanded to do that, and share Jesus with other people. 
So think about it. Black and white, up and down, left and right, east and west, night and day, right and wrong. All 180 degree differences to the extreme, the exact opposite of the direction that I was going. You can't have right and wrong together. You can't be going east and west at the same time. You've got to make a choice. That's the kind of turnaround that Saul made in his life. It was not easy for him. He didn't get saved and then have a cakewalk and have a, a family with 14 kids and, and win the lottery and have retirement. Right? What did he get? He got persecution. He got beat. He got finally put to death because he decided to go the right direction. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, I want to, I want to challenge you to think about what direction you're going. The wrong direction is the easy direction. Right? People, if, if you're a part of the world, the world's going to love you. You're going to be comfortable. But then you have hell and eternity forever, which is far worse than any persecution that you can face in the world today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to choose to go the right direction. If you know Jesus as your Savior, and you say, you know what? I haven't been living like I'm going the right direction. I'm getting caught up in living like I'm going the wrong direction. I want to challenge you today to say, you know what? No more. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going to be determined and focused to go the right direction. 180 degree turns. That's what we need in life. From sin to Jesus. From wrong to right. Just like we see what um, Saul did in today's passage. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask God that he would help me to do a better job going that way instead of this way. And if you'd like to pray, you can say, you know, God, help me to do the same thing. But like I said, if you don't know Jesus, please consider making that, that option, you know, taking Jesus as your Savior. And we can talk about it if you'd like to after church. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for what you... We're teaching me in this passage about the real difference in my life of what difference there should be. Just like Saul did, he went completely the opposite direction. He wasn't messing around. He went whole gun hole for you. And I just pray that God, we in this church would do the same thing. You know, God, that we all have sins in our life that we struggle with that we need to just let go of. I just pray that God, you'd make that easy for us to let go of from today forward. And God, if anybody in this church does not know he's their savior, you know they're going the wrong direction. And I just pray that you would do whatever it takes to give them the wake-up call to go the right direction, to put their faith in you, to have eternal life. I know it's not always going to be easy, God, but it's going to be worth it. And with your help, we can do it. I just thank you for this message. And I just ask for you to bless the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.